This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Now on Talk Radio We're going to become extinct. In fact, in some cases, we're close to being extinct right now. Presented by Weinerman Pain and Wellness, serious doctors for serious injuries, and powered by the law offices of Pond, Lee Hockey, Stern, Giordano. Talk, listen, and speak to the region's most influential leaders. It's Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor. It's Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome in, everybody, uh, around the Delaware Valley as we bring you our Labor Leader Roundtable, uh, presented by Pond La Hockey, powered by the Sinesta Hotel, and live from the Sinesta Hotel, along with J. Doc. I'm Krause, uh, on a Saturday afternoon here in the Delaware Valley. J. Doc, very excited to be uh, at the Sinesta Hotel for our second Labor Leader round. Uh, it's going to be an amazing show. I'm, I'm excited to announce everybody who's involved. Mike Barnes, business manager, IATSE 8, the stagehands local in Philadelphia. Joe Winnemer, president, Gravers Communication Conference, local 16N and District 9. Uh, Lou Ager, president, Philadelphia Metal Trades Council. Ted Kirsch, uh, president, American Federation of Teachers of Pennsylvania. Uh, Sharif Street, Pennsylvania Senator, representing the 3rd District. And, of course, uh, Jerry Lee Hockey, uh, co-managing partner and, and co-founder at Palma Hockey. So I want to welcome everybody here for a, 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 a fantastic show. We're looking forward to it. We invite our audience to settle in and enjoy the conversation as we will get into uh, some multiple topics. We'll touch on some uh, conversations. We'll get some good opinions from everybody uh, here live at the Sinesta. Jerry, I come to you first just to, uh, just to give you an opportunity to give an opening statement. And we thank you, of course, for your full support of Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor uh, and on behalf of all of the labor leaders in the room here tonight and everybody listening uh, on Talk Radio 1210. Crossy, thank you. Joe Doc, thank you. Gentlemen, uh, I'm honored to be with this esteemed group of labor leaders to talk about the issues that face uh, workers in uh, the local Philadelphia area and throughout the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, it's going to be an exciting show. Good stuff. Nice to have you here, Jerry, as well. Uh, guys, um, we're going to kind of, you know, it's a roundtable show, and we're going to throw out topics and, and want to get everybody's opinion. Uh, I know we have uh, Senator Street, uh, Sharif Street here, and, and uh, he uh, brings a, a, a great perspective politically. And uh, So, fellas, number one question, simple, why union? We're talking to our, our contractors out there, the city of Philadelphia. Why union? Why should they support union? Why should they build union? Ted? Workers need a voice. And the union is their voice. And somebody has to represent the middle class, the working people. And that's what we do. Sharif? Well, you know, I would say this. Um, when you're talking about building... We're talking about uh, the construction development uh, in a modern age. You want skilled workers that are trained. The number one thing I hear from employers is we need to have a skilled workforce. The unions don't just put anybody on a job site. They make sure that the workers are trained. They make sure they're healthy. They make sure they're rested. Make sure they have right health care. Ultimately, having a well-trained, uh, well-paid, healthier workforce is more productive 
and better economically for business leaders. So if a business leader is really forward thinking, you'd want a unionized workforce because it ultimately uh, means better means you're going to have a better product and you're going to do better economically. Mike Barnes, let me bring you into the conversation because you know from many, uh, the many conversations uh, everything that occurs in the city of Philadelphia on a big stage uh, falls under your leadership and I hold you in high esteem because of the job uh, I've seen you've been able to do. Thanks, Karasi. Uh And as Sharif said, uh, we bring value to the table. We have a trained workforce that these people can draw on. And when they're done their job, they go away. We go away. When they need us, we're back at it. And that's just not for building. That's also for the entertainment industry where we manufacture shows, manufacture trade shows. It lends itself to the teachers. We bring value to the table through our internal organizing that they can tap into without having any expense. We think we bring good value. If I can add. Sure. I, I represent thousands of injured workers in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. More than half of them are not union. And I can tell you the discussion that I have with them versus a discussion I have with someone who's union is entirely different. Those who are not union uh, don't have the protections that unions provide, don't have the benefits that unions provide, don't have the expertise that unions provide. And employers take advantage of those who are not union. I can tell you that every day. And they are at the whim and the mercy of employers who who aren't union it's vastly different lou where's the disconnect well i think that that i talk to like the management of the shipyard and i say you save a million dollars a year in legal fees by having a union you avoid lawsuits you avoid personnel problems you get good trained people and and you save all this money by being union and something that's been in the news lately is the sexual harassment sexual assault issues we had a young woman working on one of her jobs was a truck driver five foot two and she was getting a terrible time from her boss me and another agent went over there operating engineers local 542 and told him it had to stop and it stopped no lawyers no eoc just their voice on the job absolutely joe winnemer yeah i um, believe um in training, one thing our union does is provide a four-year apprenticeship. Recently, we organized a shop that had a program of training on machines, three and one-half hours. That gentleman lost his arm. That's the kind of training that these non-union companies provide. And, and, and people don't realize, um, and certainly, and, and as we as we go on throughout the show, everybody jump in. In other words, this is a, a big roundtable discussion. Um, so feel you know, feel free to jump. But but the, but the safety issues um, that that the um, that the union workforce uh, you know innately is aware of, in, innately is trained upon. Um, I remember my father calling me one time and saying, "Can you get me a con- can?" And this is how this is how much I knew he believed in in, in, in you know his workforce. He said, "Can you get me a a, a meeting with the, my landlord at the time? They they were a contracting company and they they were double breasted. They worked union in the city and outside the city. And he said to me on the phone in this one statement, I learned more about him than I could ever learn." that I had in my entire life when it came to union. He said, I just can't figure out why he's using non-union in the, in the suburbs and he, can, he can't make more money with them than he can with us. And what he meant by that was our trained workforce was more efficient, safer, and when somebody, if somebody did leave the job or somebody got injured, 
We have apprentice programs. We can send out somebody who's just as trained. Uh, so that, to me, um, is what people and, and listeners, what they, ha- they should understand about unions. We invest in our workforce. Jerry, let me ask you to dive a little bit deeper into your statement about those that are non-union and, and the challenges that they have. Well, I, I can just supplement what we've already heard tonight. You get what you pay for in life. Unions provide expertise. They provide safety training. They provide protections, as, as uh, this gentleman said, about sexual harassment or, or workers who need help on the spot without, as you say, this bureaucracy of lawyers or other things. You have people who are there or on your side. When you don't have a union, you're on your own. Yeah. You're at the whim of everybody. Yeah, I'm actually, one of the things that um, – one of the reasons that uh, I'm, I'm so pro-union – uh, and my father was so pro-union. Uh, you know, my dad was uh, was proud. Our, f- our say, former mayor, right? Former mayor Street was uh, proud to say he was a dues-paying, car-carrying member of Labor's uh, Local 332. But what people don't know is he worked a job site before he was on a union when he was a teenager uh, with uh, his older brother, and he was working a jackhammer, uh, which is laborers' work. But it was a non-union job. He lived out in the out in the county, growing up, poor uh, African American boys on, from a farm. And they gave him they gave him a jackhammer with no earplugs. So they gave him one earplug for the for him and his brother. So he stuck one in one ear. And by the end of the day, my uncle, uh, my father's oldest brother, my uncle Jimmy, um, had uh, hearing damage in his early twenties in both ears. And my dad has only hears well in one ear. Now that he's seventy four, people think it's because he's older, but he's had it my entire life because of one day on a non union job site. And later on, he ended up joining the laborers. He actually, my dad actually was, did construction work before he became a lawyer. But we're passionate because my dad, every day of his life, can never forget what a non-union job site was because he can't hear well in one ear because of one day of what a non-union employer did to him. And I want to remind Sharif that his mother was also a union member of my local. That's true. (laughs) Michael, I give you last word of the segment. And what I think is important for the audience to know is that the charge to the audience or the charge to the customer or the charge to the end user many times is not increased by the union rates and conditions that are there. We just recently organized a number of hotels uh, in the city of Philadelphia. We're in negotiations. Uh, the cost to the customers for our services, non-union, before we got there, $100 an hour. The workers getting paid 15 to 20 on the union job site, where the prevailing rate, the, the charge out at a union facility like the convention center is $67, the union person gets 58 The customer's paying $40 more for a non-union service right. than you are for a union service. The difference is that money gets reinvested in the community, benefits are paid, health care is paid, you have a stable environment, rather than all this money shipping to the top 1%, where it doesn't help anybody. A quick follow-up to that, Michael. I find myself always dumbfounded and confused um, why people don't get it, why they just don't understand it. There's not enough radio stations like this one that are, that are, that are allowing us to get the message out right. to the public. Because if they knew the truth, there would be a lot more support. It's Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. It's our roundtable, Labor Leader Roundtable, as we broadcast to you here on Talk Radio 1210. We'll take our first commercial break. We're presented by Pond La Hockey, and we are powered by the Sinesta Hotel. For your holidays this December, get to the Sinesta Hotel. Uh, it's a union hotel, uh, and it's a great spot. We're glad to be here back in a moment. 
Back here live on Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT presented by Pond La Hockey. We come to you on a Saturday afternoon with our Labor Leader Roundtable conversation number two. Jay Doc, uh, we're loaded with a lot of powerful weight in the room and a good conversation and a good show. Absolutely. Um, you know, I always go back to, I think it was our New Year's special a couple of years ago when John Doherty was on the show, and he talked about being legislated out of our jobs and legislated out of our work. And uh, obviously we know that politics is a major part of, of, of uh, you know, our union community and, and, and staying vibrant. And there's a major, major case going on right now uh, that is going to, you know, it's, it's going to court very soon. And uh, it's about a, a political issue that is, it, it, jeopardi- it literally jeopardizes, um, you know, working people. And, and it, it's gerrymandering. And Lou Ager is actually, he, he's the, one of the, one of the um, main uh, individuals involved in the suit. Uh, Lou, tell us a little bit about it. On, on Monday in federal court in Philadelphia, a case is going forward called Ager v. Wolf. I'm Ager, and Wolf is obviously the governor. You, have to, you can't sue the state. You have to sue the governor under the law. This is a case that will hopefully change the way legislative congressional districts are drawn. Instead of politicians picking the voters, the voters will be allowed to pick their elected officials, which is what happens now. You have districts that make no sense. A district goes from Chester County to Center to State College, and they're all drawn to keep incumbents in office and to for partisan political reasons. If this case wins, and we're hoping it gets to the Supreme Court this year, politicians and the states will have to draw a, thing, draw a pick at a number of voters, not look at voter registration, use county lines, use you know rivers, broad street, things like that, and we will have fair political districts so we can pick our elected officials instead of what happens now where our elected officials pick us. Let's ask Sharif Street to weigh in on the conversation. Well, th- I think it's important uh, that we have parameters that make some more sense. In Pennsylvania, for instance, we have uh, one million more registered Democrats in the state uh, than registered uh, Republicans. But in the Senate, we have 34 Republicans and 16 Democrats, in part uh, because the district lines were drawn in ways to uh, what they call packing and cracking, which is you pack districts where, like mine, where you have 99% Democrats, and then you have other districts and Republicans, you draw as many 53, 54% uh, Republican districts, 60% Republican districts as you can, so that you can have uh, the legislature uh, not re- not representative of what the people would naturally do. Now, that doesn't mean that every Democrat votes for a Democrat Republican, but if you know that if you do enough packing of districts, enough cracking up, uh, there there's a one point where they, they cut townships out. The city of Coatesville is cut out of where it would normally be because that would change the, the demographics of a district. And there and the Congress and the only thing worse than the state senate lines are the congressional lines in Pennsylvania. We had one congressional district that was rated the most gerrymandered congressional district in America, and it was in Pennsylvania. So we really do need to do something about it. Oh. This this whole notion of gerrymandering, it's it, the easiest way to look at it is the dilution of a vote. And it, as as he said, it allows politicians to pick voters instead of voters picking politicians. It's the exact opposite of what our Constitution was supposed to mean. We're supposed to know what our, that our vote means something when we go in that booth. It doesn't mean anything now because someone else has taken that vote and, and placed a weight to it that means absolutely nothing. Well, one of the things that, that 
this does is now you have extreme right wing and somewhat left wing people in the, and the only thing they're afraid of is somebody crazier not somebody running to the middle so if we have fairer districts politicians will run to the middle they'll have to convince a majority of the people regardless of party and they'll get things done in america because they'll have to work together the other thing is montgomery county is represented by five different congress people not one of them lives in montgomery county because it's so cut up Michael? Mike, yeah, I wish Lou all the luck with that lawsuit because this this state is not set up correctly with a million more Democrats and twice as many Senate uh, Republicans than there are Democrats. It just doesn't make sense. But labor recognized this, and labor recognized this in a big way uh, a couple election cycles ago and got heavily involved in down ballot races that could have, if Lou's uh, lawsuit doesn't prevail, will have a, a result in this gerrymandering. When we redistrict in 2020, process in the state of Pennsylvania, which we all got up to speed on in labor, uh, involves uh, politicians from both parties uh, with a tiebreaker coming from uh, the Supreme Court. And with the election that took place last time where we got three pro-worker, pro-people Supreme Court justices elected, we feel we got a better chance of setting up a fair uh situation for the voters in pennsylvania it was a lot of foresight i give my friend johnny doc a lot of uh, credit for for getting us all together get behind that getting his brother elected two other good judges which we think will help with that problem going forward i mean immediately uh kevin doherty uh, you know and 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 the results were were seen in that in, in that particular election i mean i think it was uh was it the teacher's uh, you, 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 there was some legislation that came down the pike doing, I think, right after uh, the election. Um, and I think it was right to work or something like that. It was right to work legislation that did not that did, that did not pass. And that was because we understand that the um, the value of our Supreme Court and, and, and the value of, of voting. Um, you know, one of the things that Sam Pond said the last time we were on the show is how on the legislature, how the deceptive, the deceptive nature of right to work. I mean, and, and we, we see it. I mean, we obviously talk about it all the time on this show. But the general public, uh, it, it, and it's not in, you know, you, who in the world would vote against right to work? You would think, right? And we all know what it really means is the right to work for less to le- and, and to unorganize. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I really hate the term right to work. That's what the, that's what the uh, anti-union movement calls it. But what it really is is uh, anti-organizing anti-labor, anti-health care, anti-wages, anti-middle class legislation, because that that legislation is designed to allow the one percent at the top to exploit everybody else and and to stop uh, workers and regular folks from coming together to fight for basic things. Uh, And so I I call it anti-organizing legislation and and our and the legislation we support is pro-organizing legislation. You know, I used to think that, that the people like the Koch brothers and the Chamber of Commerce wanted to destroy the democracy so they could destroy the middle class. I've changed my mind. They want to destroy the middle class so they can destroy democracy. Right. I mean, it's amazing. Good point. Ha- when, you look at the right, when, when you look at the far right, I, I often find that, um, that, you know, individuals that lean that way but clearly are not represented by somebody like the Koch brothers or the Walton family. Their top, their issues are nowhere near. Uh, what, they, they, what they do is they try to 
uh, to get the middle class the, the, on the right to do their dirty work for them. And at the end of the day, um, you know, people who support right-to-work legislation, all they're doing is lowering wages. And and, all, and, and, and in the United States of America, if you want to see what right-to-work looks like, all you got to do is look at another state that does it. They make less money. Their standards are, are less. You know, so why would you go in that direction? Well, that's because the right is looking forward to not having unions to bargain collectively against them. Lou, how's this going to shake out? Give you 30 seconds well, before we go to the break. we're figuring we go to trial. We'll be on trial three or four days next week. We figure we're going to get a decision before Christmas, and hopefully we'll get to the United States Supreme Court this session. That's our plan. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a big case. It's a big game changer, and it's mm-hmm. uh, well, we're we win. huge. Absolutely. On Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, it's Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor as we come to you from uh, the Sinesta Hotel programming. Reminder, one week from today, uh, next Saturday, Attorney Mark Cedrone uh, will be with us. Jay Doc will deal with labor, the government, and the RICO Act. So we'll deal with all of that one week from today here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Back in a moment. And welcome back, everyone, to Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT, presented by Pond La Hockey. It's our Labor Leader Roundtable Conversation number two as we come to you from the Sinesta Hotel, and we are live uh, from the uh, Sinesta Hotel. Mike Barnes, Ted Kirsch, Lou Ager, and Joe Inamer uh, joining us uh, here tonight. And, of course, our political leader, Senator Sharif Street. Uh, is with us as well. Senator, thank you very much uh, for joining us here uh, on Talk Radio 1210 uh, WPHT. Jerry, let me come to you before we continue uh, in the conversation. When you listen uh, to some of that chatter like we had in the previous segment uh, with Lou Wager taking the lead in that battle, um, I, 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 I think of, uh, of you and I hear Sam in my, uh, you know, in my ear constantly talking about the battles that you have in Harrisburg. The battles are constant, and the reason why they're constant is because there are individuals, there are groups out there who don't like unions, don't like injured workers, don't like lawyers for the most part, and don't like what we represent. And at the end of the day, we were talking about lose lawsuit. It's about fairness. It's all about fairness. No one in this group is unfair. When you really look at the issues – uh, and if you had an opportunity to sit down with someone in the legislature and had an opportunity to explain your position, no one, we're not extremists. We're talking about fairness. If you looked at the legislative districts in Pennsylvania right now, it's a jigsaw puzzle that no one can understand. If you asked voters as they were walking into their voting booth, do you know what your legislative district looks like? Nobody can give you that answer. No one, because it it's changes so much because of unfairness. The right wants the edge. They don't want to be fair. They're happy to be unfair. They're happy that to keep unions out of jobs, out of this state. They're happy with that. I'll never understand that. My father was a union plumber. My two brothers are union steam fitters. I know what it's like to be union. If it weren't for the health benefits that my father had as a union member, he would be dead. He would have died long before he did. They saved my father's life. But nobody understands those benefits that unions have versus those who don't have them until you're in the middle of it. Uh, it's a great point. I mean, there's no question about it, uh, especially in a state like Pennsylvania where you can be fired for anything. Um, we're going we're gonna to kind of transition a little bit talk about the teachers. And we have uh, 
uh, President Ted Kirsch here, American Federation of Teachers in Pennsylvania. And Ted, um, a lot of issues, obviously, teachers go through every day. Uh, one of the one of the issues that you've been fighting to maintain for a lot of years is seniority. And uh, recently, you know, some stuff happened there. Please elaborate. Well, I want to start out by saying that all of us are so happy to be citizens of the United States of America. It's a wonderful country and the opportunities that we've all had in our lifetime. Public education is what made this country great. It was the teachers that took so many of us who are grandparents, immigrants, some of us are parents were immigrants, that really gave us a wonderful standard of living. And the people who did this, the teachers, have now become demonized. The Republican right-wing public relations has turned the public against the people who have helped make us a great nation. Recently in Harrisburg, uh, because of the gerrymandering and the control that was set up, legislation was passed to take away the basic right of union people. Doesn't matter what union you're in, Everyone understands seniority, uh, and the present state legislature passed a law to take away the teacher's right of seniority. Now, we're not talking about people who are not performing, and as union leaders, we all know that we have to give people their due process rights, but we're not saying that somebody who's not doing their job should be there, but they have a right to have a hearing. But that's what our present state legislature has taken away from teachers, the right to have their jobs. And it's a, and the interesting thing, Joe, when we started this program uh, four years ago, it seemed like we were talking about education every week and, 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 and the conditions that our teachers are in. I mean, uh, you know, you talk about um, not funding the schools and we talk about the budget and, 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 and uh, I know Sharif feels really strongly about education and, 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 and public education. Uh, but if you're not going to fund that, some of these teachers are in, in ratios where it's 40 to one. OK. And at the end of the day, they're, they're 40 fighting, to one student, 40 students, 40 to, one students to one teacher. That's yeah. right. And they've worked hard. Now, Ted, I'm not an expert in this particular area, but doesn't that somewhat give the the uh, and we just the, the, we just got rid of the with the uh, what, what, SRC, what, right? The SRC, right? Um, didn't we? Didn't so? Doesn't that uh, give the uh, the hand? Uh, you know, not to the teachers, and they're able to. Uh, I mean, the teachers have worked for decades, to, to obviously, to build up their seniority. They can get, they get, if they stay do a good job and they make you know they they can generate better wages. Doesn't this uh, alleviate that in some cases? Doesn't that doesn't that hurt the incentive of a teacher to stick around for a long time? The law that was recently passed not only takes away seniority but unfairly labels the school that the teacher is in. It has set up a system that if you are in a poverty area and you know here in Philadelphia we or in that category, we have a number of schools that where the majority of students are living in poverty area. Clearly, the relationship between poverty and success in schools, Absolutely. Is, there's all kinds of research. Sure. So we're trying to give every student an opportunity to be successful. Under this new law, if a teacher 
is in a school with a high poverty area, their rating, whether or not they will keep their job, is not based on the fact of whether they're a good teacher, successful teacher in the classroom, but rather the test scores right. of students who have come from poverty that we already know start school behind the level. They are already at a disadvantage, and now you're going to say the teacher is at fault for society's uh, problems. Joe Inamer, you say what? Well, I uh, was going to talk about the seniority part, which I'm having a problem up in Pittsburgh right now. Um, there's a notorious anti-labor uh, lawyer firm, K&B, I won't mention their name, <laughs> um, dealing with a paper in Pittsburgh, I won't mention their name. They want to have the total right to do away with seniority and tell you when you'll work, what days you'll have off, and they want to eliminate the apprenticeship program and bring part-time people in off the street at a much reduced rate. Again, why in the hell would anybody not want to be in a union and not fight for it? So we're fighting right now to tell this company to go back to wherever the hell they came from. Yeah, well, I, I just want to say I'm, I'm very passionate about the issue around um, what we're doing with education funding and, and fairness, particularly the last issue that uh, Mr. Kirsch raised. Uh, Mr. And, you know, and for full disclosure, my mom was an organizer in his union for uh, most of my life. And and he mentioned that when I told <laughs> you did. were going to be on the show. So, uh, but when you look at this, we take the, the poorest school districts and the poorest kids who families already have the most challenges starting out, and then we give those districts the least amount of money. Right. Um, in Pennsylvania, we have one school district uh, that that receipt where, where they spent $75,000 per child educating children. And in Philadelphia, uh, the average, uh, we spend less than $14,000 a child. And so when you look at that kind of inequity, there are, there are many school districts in our suburbs that spend about three times as much. So you take children where the parents have more money, the families already have better resources at home, and then you take those children and you give them less resources than everything else, not accidentally, but systemically. Um, your zip code, the value of your house that your parents live in should not determine your quality of education. It's wrong, and we have to stop it. And then to say to, to, say to the teacher, it's your fault. You give you the poorest kids, you give it the least resources, and then we blame the teacher when there is a lack of success is just unconscionable. No? Yeah, and the answer is, and by the way, my mother is also a member of the PFT, but the answer is not to cut the money where they're getting 75, but to raise the money where we're getting 14. 14. So every child that comes to Amer uh, in America has a chance at a good education. Absolutely. And here's what scares me, because this, this charge isn't going to stop with the teachers. The legislature is going to feel empowered. The right, now that they've got the teachers, they're going to expand that, that notion to go after other groups and go after seniority and other organizations. Right. And that's what's scary. If we don't put a stop to this now, it will continue. Mike, I just find it uh, ironic that the the party that 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 they preaches smaller government is going to legislate collective bargaining. They don't belong in collective bargaining. That's an agreement between the workers and the employer, and to legislate it after we bargain for it is a bad precedent. Why are they in it, Mike? Why are they there? 
because the majority of the people that have supported it and, and, and supported the teachers and joined the teachers and collectively put their voices together to put forth their position, won their position fair and square at the bargaining table through a normal legalized process. They didn't win it that way, so they took it from us a different way by getting gerrymandered legislative districts and overcoming the majority vote of a million Democrats to change the, to change the rules on Hope us. The audience is enjoying our conversation and our roundtable tonight here on Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We'll take our final break uh, of the big show. We're presented by Pond La Hockey. We're powered by the Sinesta Hotel, and we are live uh, at the Sinesta Hotel. Jay Doc, where they put on a great meal for us uh, tonight. Every bell- everybody's belly is full. That means everybody's got a good opinion. I'm just waiting for dessert there, Joe. <laughs> right with you. Right. It's Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Back in a moment. And back here live on Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor. Shout out to all of our listeners tuning in out in Montgomery County tonight. We'll say hello to everybody uh, tuning in this afternoon on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. It's our Labor Leader Roundtable uh, conversation number two. We're all presented uh, by Pond La Hockey. We're powered by the Sinesta Hotel, and we come to you live uh, from the Sinesta Hotel. To my right, Jerry La Hockey, uh, sitting in on the uh, on the dialogue tonight, Jerry. And um, you can gather from the passion uh, that's in the room and you share that passion and you come across the air with uh, that passion. There's a lot of meaningful change and force that needs to continue uh, as the battle goes forward. I am among friends tonight, uh, and it's, it's empowering for me because I don't get an opportunity to sit with this esteemed group uh, that often. I'm typically uh, across the desk from someone who's suffered a pretty severe injury on the job and have to walk them through what would otherwise be a very bad experience in their life. But were it not for the fact that uh, the unions exist, that experience would be much worse for them. And the interesting thing, Jerry, is that injured workers' rights uh, are no, their workers' rights. And I find it amazing since, you know, we have the injured workers program in, in, in labor um, that we take the same, that the injured workers, uh, you know, community takes the same legislative and political hits, and you know that better than anybody, um, that we do in labor. We fight every day. And so we have labor leaders right in front of us right now and a political leader that are on the front lines. Uh, a couple things I want to talk about, it, you know, here in, in our final um, segment is uh, we have Mike Barnes on the program. And, and uh, Mike, um, the major events in Philadelphia, okay, I mean, uh, you know, uh, the Parkway, uh, you know, the, the Pope, um, you know, you talk about the NFL draft, all those things. Uh, your workers are primary, you're front and center there. Um, and to showcase the city of Philadelphia like never before. We broadcast it down there with Bobby Heenan. Um, unbelievable. When I find, and we talk about it all the time, what, you know, it's amazing how that goes up and how, what does it do? What do those types of events and conventions do for the city of Philadelphia and the future of the city of Philadelphia? So, Joe, we're, we're celebrating our 125th anniversary. We were chartered in 1893. We've been doing big events in Philadelphia for over 125 years. My family, like other people here tonight, uh, I go back generations. My grandfather got in the Union in 1916. My father got in 1947 right after World War II. I have brothers, sisters, nephews, sons. We all make a great living as stagehands. Everybody focuses on the big triple crown. You had the NFL, you had the Pope, you had the DNC. Right, the DNC. Now, I don't need a reason to hate Dallas, but I hate him even more (laughs) now that Jerry Jones lobbied to get the NFL away from us in 2018 because we did what we had to do in Philly to keep that show in town. We had the best sponsorship. We had the best crowds. We had not one incident out there. It was a fantastic show, and I do think that will come back in the future. 
But there are other shows that continue to pour in. We have Jay-Z coming in Saturday. We have hundreds of concerts. We have Live Nation. Made in America. Made in America is every year. Pennsylvania has now become the Hollywood of the rock and roll industry. We have Lidditz, Pennsylvania, one of the biggest manufacturing areas for uh, the rock and roll industry. As a result of the location in Lidditz, Pennsylvania has been a tryout city for a lot of different acts that go on tour all over the country. We have the convention center which you, you measure the economic input of uh, these shows. The NFL draft, I think, was uh, listed as like an $85 million uh, economic uh, boost for the city. What you didn't hear about was Lightbearer, which was in town at the same time as the NFL draft, pumped in $53 million. And the convention center now, since the 2014 settlement at the convention center, where the IBW, the stagehands, uh, the Teamsters, and the laborers are working down there with the conventions, we turned the convention center around where we look to be sold out in that convention center by 2020, where these citywide shows pump in $40, $50 million per show are coming in one and two a month. That kind of economic impact, it helps the hotels, it helps all labor, it helps workers everywhere. Sharif, what, you know, for the city of Philadelphia, the future, uh, these major events we're talking about, what do they do for the future? Well, you know, the uh, economic turnaround that the city's had uh, is – is in part driven by the fact uh, that we've had these shows. It's helped grow our tax base, but equally important, when you talk, when we look at Amazon and what, what was attracting them there, it's lifestyle. You have those folks who are living on the West Coast where they, they had to grow, where they had their growth. Philadelphia, when Polt was one of the places where people wanted to live. Part of that's because you can see a good show. You can uh, experience all of these historic um, sites. Historic sites, but not only that, all the cultural icons that come through for a rock and roll <laughs> show, for a hip hop concert, for a Broadway play. Um, all of these things are, are things that uh, the stagehands and other and part of our union workforce allows to happen. And, and the turnaround at the convention center has really driven lifestyle, which allows us to attract more businesses and create more family sustaining jobs. Ted. As a teacher and spent my entire life born and raised in the city, I am so proud of how I've seen this city change and the progress that's taking place. But I need to remind everyone, the future of this city is the public school system, that with all the growth and all the success that we are having now, we've got to keep the people here. And in order to keep the people here, we've got to improve our school system fund it properly, and make this the first-class city that we all believe it is. Absolutely. Jerry, well, can, I was can that be say done? Something. No, no, well, of course it could be done, but I want to go back to something Mike said. You didn't have to be a fan of NFL to feel pride that that event was here. You didn't have to be a Catholic to feel pride that the Pope was here. You didn't have to be a Democrat to feel proud that that convention was here. That pride was shared among all of the Philadelphians, no matter what your background was. You know, I have lots of millennials in my law firm who aren't NFL fans, but they talked about that event as if it raised the collective pride of our city. So the future is about raising that collective pride and raising good citizens through the public school system. Absolutely. And, and, and anybody who's, who, who's been around Philadelphia during those times, absolutely incredible. So uh, b before we go, I do want to say one thing, Mike. You, you, we talked about there's a the paycheck protection, but really we call it deception bill that's on the table in Harrisburg. You talk about individuals that want to get in your business, and it, these are collectively uh, – they want to stop us from paying our union dues. Um, why would somebody want to do something like that, uh, Senator? Well, look, that's a bill that's been floating around the Senate. 
and I'll tell you, the folks who are, who are behind it both talked about legislatively taking away workers' rights and constitutionally taking away workers' rights. It's, it's, it's offensive, and I said it in the Senate uh, in committee, and I said it on the floor, for, an or, for us to be talking about passing uh, a constitutional amendment to deprive people of their basic right to organize is wrong, it's un-American, and it's something that, we, that should not happen in the place where the Constitution was originally written. Absolutely. And, and at this point, you know, I mean, we, we, we look at, at paycheck. This guy, Lou? Well, you know, this paycheck, paycheck deception, I've worked in right-to-work states, and I've seen these kind of issues before. Um, this is more dangerous than right-to-work because everybody can join the union and have their money deducted. But when that money stops being deducted from public employees, they're just going to not do it. They've got to go into the union hall. They've got to send a check every week. And it just is going to fall through the cracks. And it's, it's more dangerous it than it right is. to it's work. It's beyond right. pace check deception. This is anti-union right. legislation. Call, and call, call your legislators. Anti-worker. Anti-worker. Call your legislators to stop that right now. All right, good stuff here on Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor, presented by Pine Lahaki. Cherry, well done. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Uh, we're powered and fueled by the Sinesta Hotel. We come to you live uh, from the Sinesta Hotel. Mike Barnes, Ted Kirsch, Lou Ager, Joe Inamer, and our, our political guest uh, tonight is Senator Shreve Street. Thank you very much uh, for being part uh, of the big broadcast. J-Doc, 15 seconds to put a recap well, I just it. want to thank everybody for being a part of our second uh, Labor Leaders Roundtable. Uh, it's, it's just an honor to be here with everybody, and uh, we, we look forward to continuing this every month. Uh, certainly a great perspective by our leadership and an example of why we're such a strong city. As we go to the close, I ask our audience, and you've heard me ask them many, many times, close your eyes for a moment and imagine what it would be like. Imagine what the city would be like if there was no unions. Saturday Night Live with Philly Labor on Talk Radio 1210 for J-Doc. For all of our guests here tonight and for the Sinesta Hotel for hosting us here uh, on a very, very special day. Um, I'm Joe Kraus. We'll see you next time. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.